0: Amen. What a beautiful song. I don't think I knew that one, but a wonderful song to sing. I enjoyed the Sunday school lesson, too, and uh, I think that one was for the the preacher this morning. (laughs) Well, children, I guess we're not going to have a children's meeting this morning. Is that okay? You had Sunday school this morning, so we'll leave the last children's meeting for tonight, okay? we got one more thing we got to talk about tonight. The title for our message today, this morning is Make Thee an Ark. Make Thee an Ark. Imagine boarding a train in Vancouver and traveling by rail all the way to Beijing, China. Well, that may seem like an optimist dream, there is a possibility that it could be reality someday. Visionaries are proposing a railroad that would take passengers and cargo from the USA and Canada to Russia, Europe, and China. It would be a rail service with a high-speed 250-mile-per-hour passenger train that would allow uninterrupted travel from Europe's Atlantic coast to California, and New York. Now, to make these connections possible, they will need to bore a tunnel under the Bering Strait. And this uh, Bering Strait tunnel would link Alaska with Russia. It would need to be 64 miles long. They're proposing a tunnel with an upper and a lower level to allow two-way rail traffic for both passenger and cargo service. The inside diameter of these two main tunnels would be 49 feet. So that's a pretty big tunnel. And this would allow for, uh, space for oil and gas pipelines as well as electrical and fiber optic cables. Construction would go on for 24 hours a day. The entire project is estimated to take 12 to 15 years at a cost of $35 billion. However, this would unite the eastern and the western hemisphere. If my calculations and data are correct, it would be 9,164 miles from New York City to China via the Bering Strait Tunnel. At 250 miles an hour, you could be in China in 36 to 48 hours railroad time. What a project. Imagine the engineering and the finances and the coordination, the planning that would go into a project like that. Well, how do you think Noah felt when God gave him the plans for that ark? I can't imagine. I think he felt pretty small in light of the magnitude of the assignment. Do you ever think he let out a sigh and wondered how he's going to ever start, let alone finish? I mean, where would you begin? Do you think he ever felt flooded with an overwhelming sense of inadequacy? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 like to take our message from this verse this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We have the faith chapter here. We don't have a lot of verses about Noah. In fact, I believe there's one verse dedicated to Noah here in this chapter. Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. This morning we don't know how Noah felt. We can only imagine, but we do know what he did. God gave him all the resources God gave him everything he needed for the task that he called him to do. And God still does that today. This one verse here speaks volumes about the character of Noah. The ark building project was astronomical. We looked at that a little bit this week with the children. This 450 foot long, 75 foot wide, 45 foot high, ark was a massive engineering feat. According to nautical engineers, the longest wooden vessel ever built was 360 feet long, and it was not seaworthy. So the ark had a master designer to make it possible for this large vessel to float. The ratio of the ark, length times width times height, according to Shipbuilders represents an advanced knowledge in shipbuilding, and of course, of course it would, because it had a master designer. I don't think you could have got a better plan. Apparently, this design is the optimum design for stability in high seas, in rough seas. Researchers believe that the ark could have easily navigated 30-meter waves, 30-meter waves, 90-foot waves. That takes quite a vessel, let alone a wooden vessel, to be able to withstand that kind of pressure. So it was quite a building project. And in spite of this huge building project, this huge responsibility that Noah had, he was also a father. He had three sons. He didn't have 12 boys and 12 girls, he had three sons. And I believe that being a father in Noah's culture and time was a lot like what it is being a father today. I believe it is. It was an evil, corrupt time. The pressure to sin was strong. Raising sons was not an easy task, let alone managing a building project The size and magnitude of the ark. How did Noah do it? Let's turn back to Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six. If we go back to Genesis, we go back to the beginning of time. I believe we're a lot closer to Revelation than we are to Genesis (laughs) in the day that we're living in. Revelation chapter six. Verses one to fourteen. There's just a few things that, that stand out to us here as we read these verses. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives, of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with men, for that he is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and after that the sons of God came. In unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. And the same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every thought, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart, and the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me, that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Therefore, through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And God goes on to give Noah the instructions and how to build this ark. Verse 22, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded, so did he. How did Noah do this successfully? How did he convince his sons to go along into the ark with him and not stay out there with the majority of the scoffers? You know, it was quite an accomplishment for Noah to build this boat. But even greater is the fact that he took his sons along with him into that ark. Think about the daughter-in-laws. Think about the families that they came from. Think about what they needed to give up, what they needed to put up with, marrying into Noah's family back in that time. They must have faced extreme pressure. What was Noah's secret? I think verse 9 tells us what his secret was. He walked with God. Walked with God. Not really that complicated, but it's what he did. And anyone who walks with God will have the character of God impact their life. And we as fathers need that this morning. Noah cared about his family because he cared about God and what pleased God. If God knew that Noah was blameless, if God knew that he was just, then his wife and his family could see that as well. You can't hide those kind of things. Noah had God's approval in his life, and that's all he needed. It says here in Hebrews 11, verse 7, Noah prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And the aim of our message today is to discover how he did that and how we can do that as fathers for our families today. Is your home an ark of safety for your wife, for your sons, for your daughters? Will your family survive the filth that is drowning this world today, or will you be swept away? There's six points I'd like to look at today that will help us prepare an ark for the safety of our families. Number one, I'm going to write them on the board. Number one, we must be an architect, an architect. An architect is a builder or a designer. And it's important that an architect an architect understands the function of the building that he's building or that he's designing. It's also important that the architect pays attention to the stress points of the building and that he adequately specifies the needed reinforcements. You know, it wouldn't be a good idea to put roof trusses, on a building here in Creston or Fernie or somewhere where there's lots of snow to put roof trusses on that are spec for Mississippi or Florida. Not a good idea. Noah knew the architect. And this morning, this, this thing of building an ark for the saving of our house, our families, it is impossible unless we know the architect. We have to know the architect. And Noah did. Noah did. In his own wisdom, he could not have designed an ark that would have carried the weight and volume that it needed to carry all under the pressure of those heavy, tempestuous seas. Some historians believe that they were actually huge anchor stones that were fastened to the bottom of the ark. We don't read about them in Scripture, but apparently a number of smooth Tall, six foot tall anchor stones with holes in the end have been discovered in the Mount Ararat region. And historians believe, researchers believe that these stones were on the ark. I mean, how do you get stones like that up in the mountains? And apparently, these anchor stones, these anchor stone designs were consistent with uh, shipbuilding from that, that era. Well, God was the architect. He alone designed the ark to provide safety and security for all that were inside. Fathers, this morning, God must be the architect for our home, for your ark. His design is flawless, and if the details are followed, it will provide safety and security for all those inside your ark. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Our work is in vain if we don't follow the architect's plan. He's given us the details. If we follow his plan, our arks will be a place of safety and security. You know, God has given the headship order for how things are supposed to function in the ark. He's given the order. But when the mister becomes the missus, and the missus becomes the mister. There's havoc in the ark. And suddenly the flood is no longer outside, but it comes inside. God has given direction about the relationship that is to be, to, to be between the first and second mate. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. See what kind of instructions he's given about how the first and second mate are supposed to relate to each other. Each, Ephesians 5, verses 28 to 20, 28 to 33. says here, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now you notice in verse 29, it uses the word nourisheth. And that word, we're talking here about the relationship between the first and second mate. The relationship that I believe Noah had with his wife. I don't think that the ark would have been a success like it was if Noah and his wife wouldn't have had the kind of relationship that it's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 5. But the word nourisheth in verse 29, it means to fatten and to pamper. It means to, uh, to, to baby and to treat lavishly, to mollycoddle and to fuss over. That's what that word means. And then we have the word cherish, which means to brood like a hen. Provide safety under your wing. Fathers, husbands, this morning, is your ark a place of security for your wife? Or does she have to look elsewhere to have her needs met and her need to feel cherished and nourished? Does she have to look somewhere else to find that? Or are you providing that for her? You know, if you don't feel like she's reverencing you, like she ought to try, to, try, try uh, pampering her and babying her and molly coddling and you know fussing over her, try that. That word "reverence" is actually a, a really interesting word as well. And it means that uh, it means to, to stand in awe of just a little tidbit for you ladies, if you don't feel like you're being pampered. Like, like 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 you'd like to be, try looking up in his face and making him feel like he's the greatest man on earth. And you'll be surprised how that'll bring him around. This morning, fathers, the best thing you can do for your family, for your children, is to love their mother. Noah walked with God. He was in step. He was in tune with God. They walked together. They talked together. God and Noah were good friends. And because of that, the character of God influenced Noah's life. Noah was a just man. We looked at that again the other the first night with the children. That means that he was morally clean, he was pure. Noah was a perfect man. That means that he was a man of integrity, he was a man that was just. Fathers, if we're going to build an ark of safety for our family, we're going to need a walk with God. He is our architect. He has the plan. All we need to do is follow it. You know, in a sense, we're under architects. And if we follow his plan, our ark will not sink. The second thing, to prepare an ark of safety for our families, we'll need to be an archer. An archer. Now, an archer is someone who uses a bow and arrow, and it can be used both defensively and offensively. Joseph Manas holds the world record as a long-range bow shooter. He can hit a 5 5-e8 flagpole from 240 meters, 787 feet, and he can nail that flagpole dead on. That's a challenge for you boys. This archer has tremendous aim to hit that kind of a target, that small of a target from that distance. Now, I don't know if Noah was an archer or not, but I certain, we know, we know for, for sure that he had a target, that he had a goal. The cost was high. The project was daunting. The opposition was strong. The environment that he was in was corrupt. Noah didn't flinch. His aim was true. For over a hundred years, he worked on that ark to save his family. In spite of the mockery, in spite of the peer pressure, not one was lost. That's amazing. That's amazing. How did Noah do it? Well, I believe these boys, his boys saw that their their dad was real. (laughs) Their dad was real. He was the real deal. He was the real thing. They saw that his character was spotless. They saw how their dad was different than the rest of the contractors that came and worked on that ark. They knew their dad walked with God. They knew that God was his personal friend. They heard their father preach to those curious tourists. They they saw the fairness, they saw the integrity of their father. Noah built his sons while he built that ark. He shaped their character while he shaped those beams and boards. He pointed them to God as he pointed those stakes and pegs. Noah pitched that ark inside and out. This not only preserved it for the 120 years while it was being built, It also kept the water out. And fathers, this morning, it's our duty, it's our responsibility to preserve our families from the influences that will flood out their faith. Pitch the cracks. Guard their relationships. Be careful who they go to the swimming hole with. Be careful who they go to sleepovers with guard and guide their interests and dreams most of all guard their hearts you know there's a lot of competition for our children's hearts today and they're going to find they're going to find security somewhere they're going to look for it somewhere we want them to find the right kind may you provide that for your children you know there's so many things that can steal our children's hearts it can be their peers it can be their own talents and dreams. It can be their lack of in, it can be our lack of interest or involvement in their lives. Your children need your time. They need your ears. Be an archer. Use your bow to protect your family. Show them God's way. It says in Psalm 127 verse 4, "But as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth." Use your bow to influence them and point them towards God. Noah was concerned about the safety of his family. Hebrews 11 verse 7 confirms this. All right, thirdly, to prepare an ark of safety, we as fathers must be archaeologists. Archaeologists, now this is a long word. I'm not sure if I'm going to spell it right. Uh, what's the next letter? Teacher? Where are you? Girl? Archaeologist? Is it old? I'll just take a guess. Archaeologists. <laughs> now, you might wonder how this preacher plans to connect arc building with fatherhood and archaeologists. And maybe it's a stretch, but I'm going to try. Archaeology is the study of ancient cultures through remains. An archaeologist is a person that goes out and digs and excavates to find those remains. Archaeologists are trying to find Noah's Ark. And various claims have been made as to the discovery of the Ark. There's a one archaeologist named Ron Wyatt, and he claims to have discovered the ark in the Mount Ararat region. Apparently there is a boat-like formation that he claims fits the dimensions of the ark, and they've, it's basically, basically carbonized now, but uh, because of carbon testing, they're able to drill into this formation, and they've discovered things like an iron rivet and uh, some cat hair and antlers and things like that. They also claim that the uh, the hull the structure of the hull is still somewhat visible. Now of course there's those who support this claim and there's others that are dubious as to its authenticity. An archaeologist would need to be a very patient person. Working in the hot sun with a small chisel and a toothbrush trying to expose some old bone would take a tremendous amount of patience. I found that being a father takes a lot of patience, and being a mother does too, but being a father takes a lot of patience, and a whole lot more patience than I have in my own strength. Noah was working on this ark for 120 years. We don't know what he all faced during that time, but he didn't stop, he didn't abandon it, He kept patiently, persistently moving forward. And it was hard, tedious tedious work. It was work that was being done in an environment that was not supportive to what he was doing. Noah preached while he worked. 2 Peter 2, verse 5 says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. What kept him going? Our theme verse this morning tells us, by faith. By faith, Noah being moved with fear. It didn't matter what anybody else thought. It didn't matter what anybody else said. Noah knew what God had told him to do. And he kept doing it. Fathers, this morning we need the faith that Noah had. We need the respect and the reverence for God that Noah had. If we're going to build an ark of safety, we're going to need the patience and persistence. Persistence that Noah ahead. You know, we might feel like an archaeologist some days, but we must keep the bigger picture in view. Sometimes progress seems slow. In our own lives, in our own lives, we wish we were smarter. We wish we knew more. We wish we were more successful. We wish we were stronger. Some days it feels like it's two steps back and one step ahead. We get stuck or even submerged in the pressures and responsibilities of life. The 15th of the month comes all too quick. It seems like we just paid the bills and they're due again. 5: 30 is here before we're done sleeping. We have a meeting Monday night, topic on Wednesday night, and the boys want to go fishing Friday night. And sometimes we feel like we're being pulled by the hair and by the nose and by the toes. <laughs> it's good to feel needed. We need patience. We need faith, just to keep on one day at a time. God is in control. He has a plan. And he needs us to simply, faithfully stand in the gap that he's called us to stand in. We live in an age where it's the faster, the better. You know, tractors, back when I, was, when I was a boy, if a tractor went 20 miles an hour, that was pretty fast. Now they go 50, 60, 70, 80. I still remember the days of dial-up. Dial-up is, you remember what dial-up was? <laughs> But to dial up wouldn't be anywhere close to fast enough anymore. Zero to 60 needs to be faster and quicker. Well, faster isn't better when it comes to building children, is it? It takes patience. All right, number four to, be, to prepare an arc of safety, a father needs to be an archon. I'm writing these down because they're words that we don't always use every day in our English recab- vocabulary. Archon is an English word. An archon is a Greek magistrate or law officer. That's what an archon is. Now, authority is something that God has given to us as fathers. He has. And in our world, authority is looked at in a negative light at times. And there's various reasons for that. God expects a father to use his authority, to use it properly, not to abuse it. An author- our authority is, is not a right. Rather, it's a responsibility. And we're going to give an account as to how we use it. There's no way around it. God has given it. He expects us to use it. And to fail to take that responsibility up is an abuse, is actually an abuse of authority. To use our authority to threaten or intimidate is an abuse of authority. And then there's many fathers today that are simply passive couch potatoes. You know what a couch potato is. Rather than rise to the challenge of insisting on law and order, they leave their children to themselves. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame, Proverbs says. You know, it's hard work to insist on order and obedience It's hard work to deal with disobedience. It is. Training takes time. It takes sweat. It takes tears. Talking to and counseling our children takes much wisdom and discernment. One thing I've learned or am learning or trying to learn as a father of teens, it takes a whole lot more time than it does when they're five or six or three or four. It takes a lot more time to simply listen. And sometimes that's all a teenager needs. It's just someone to listen. Not someone with all the answers, but someone to just listen and help them sort out their thoughts. You think Noah's boys would have come along if he would have just let them run to themselves and somehow hoped they'd find their way? I believe Noah's home had order. I believe there was ground rules. Maybe Ham had to help with the cooking. And maybe Shem had to hem the garments. I don't know. The tunics. I'm sure that Noah didn't tolerate back talk or smart talk or dirty talk. I'm sure he didn't. Noah provided the kind, consistent authority that his family needed and his sons respected him. They embraced his faith. They embraced his values, and they found wives that did as well. Ephesians says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that word, bring them up, is the same Greek word, It's connected to the same Greek word back in Ephesians 5 where it talks about nourishing, about a husband nourishing his wife. That word bring them up is connected to that same Greek word. And it has the idea of cherishing and pampering. Bring them up, not yell them up, not beat them up, not show them up, but bring them up. Bring them up. It has the idea of bringing them along with you. Are you confident the direction you're going this morning is one that is safe for them to follow? It's a question we need to ask ourselves. Bring them up. Our homes don't need authoritarians. They need leadership. And like we looked at last night with the children, the first thing that Noah did when he got off that ark was to build an altar, was to offer a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Worship was a priority in Noah's life, and he led out in it. All right, number five, to prepare an ark of safety, a father must be an Arcadian. An Arcadian. Now... Arcadia was a province in Greece that was an area of beauty and seclusion, and its inhabitants became proverbial as herdsmen leading simple, pastoral, unsophisticated, yet happy lives. Arcadia became an idiom for an imagined place of rural bliss. If you look up Arcadia in the dictionary, it'll define it as a place in which people are imagined or believed to enjoy a perfect life of rustic simplicity. It could be a little like the idealistic imagination that a city resident may have about moving to the country. Except when the neighbor wants to build a pig barn, then it somehow changes, but... You know, that, that picture of the rocking chair on the front porch with the picket-lined, white picket-lined uh, fence, daisies growing along it, you know, and a chicken scratching for grubs in the front yard and a cow munching grass in the nearby meadow. That, that's the idea of Arcadia. Well, so much for Dreamland. Is your ark a place that is peaceful and happy? I wonder what it was like in the ark there with Noah and his family. I can hardly imagine, at least at the beginning, that it was an Arcadia. (laughs) You know, as that rain started pouring out of the skies and the fountains of the deep were broken up and the people, the desperate people outside, relatives and friends and neighbors, started wailing. I, I don't think it was Arcadia inside the ark. But I'm sure It wasn't Arcadia compared to what was going on outside. And you know what? In our homes at times, it doesn't feel like Arcadia. And yet, compared to what's going on outside, it should. Fathers, it's our duty to do what we can to create an atmosphere of peace and tranquility in our homes. Our family should be a place that our children love to be with. A place where they're appreciated and treasured. A place where Daddy gets down on his hands and knees and he plays right or right golly with his children. A place where Daddy is a hero. Where he tells stories at the supper table. Where he's not just on his phone all the time. A place where... Children hear their daddy pray for them, each one of them personally. Home should be a place where children feel useful, where they learn the satisfaction of hard work, and where they hear compliments when they do well. Make the atmosphere of your ark Something that is hard to leave and easy to come back to. There's a song that says there's beauty all around when there's love at home. There is joy in every sound when there's love at home. Peace and plenty here abide. Smiling sweet on every side, time doth softly, sweetly glide when there's love at home. In the cottage there is joy, when there is love at home. Hate and envy ne'er annoy, when there is love at home. Roses bloom beneath our feet. All the earth's a garden sweet, making life a bliss complete when there is love at home. Kindly heaven smiles above when there is love at home. All the earth is filled with love when there is love at home. Sweeter sings the brooklet by, brighter beams the azure sky. Oh, there's one who smiles on high. When there's love at home, it sounds like an Arcadia, doesn't it? This morning, if your home is not a place of bliss, let Jesus make it that way. You put him in the center of your life, it'll become that way. Finally, to build an ark of safety, a father must be an Arcturus. An Arcturus. Arcturus is the fourth brightest star in the night sky. You'll find Arcturus in the constellation Butis. And Bootes in the Hebrew means to come quickly. There's some pretty interesting things that have happened in the last number of years inside the constellation Boutis. I'm not going to get into that, but Arcturus has been referred to as the star of joy. And as fathers here today, are, your, are you an Arcturus? Does your life and your character shine brightly in the dark world around us? Do your children see the one who said in Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. Do they see him in your life? Are we pointing our children to the star of joy? Arcturus was a point of reference to sailors. if They got lost at sea. They could look up into that night sky, and they could find Arcturus. And Arcturus could help them get their bearings and find their way back home. Noah was an Arcturus in his day. Steady, calm, faithful, obedient. He never wavered from the goal. He kept building that ark through the cheering, through the sneering, through the cold, through the heat. 120 years. It's like going back to 1901. That's how long he was at it. Steady as a star in the night sky. Shemham and Japheth, they saw his con- consistent character day after day, year after year. Their father was a point of reference. He was an example they could follow. I believe their father was their star. Proverbs 17, verse 6 says, The glory of children are their fathers. You know, there's many children today who don't have a father that they can be pleased with. And maybe you're one of those here this morning. I don't know. I tell you, you can always have a heavenly father that you can be pleased with. He will never let you down. But you know their daddy, he doesn't care about them. He's never home or he lives with a woman that is not their mother. I'm thankful to have a faithful earthly father. He wasn't perfect, but he was faithful. He is faithful. I'm also thankful for a heavenly father that is faithful. And I'm thankful for all the godly fathers that are here this morning. And may all of us point our children to the heavenly father, the perfect father, so that our children can someday become his children. That's what this is all about. That must be our ultimate goal. That must be our deepest desire, that our children would enter in to the ark of safety and be saved from the flood of corruption today and from the fire of destruction tomorrow. May God help us. Let's stand for prayer. Dear Father, we come to you at the close of this service, and Lord, I thank you that we could look into your word and receive inspiration again, Lord, and as fathers, we sense our need of you and our need for your help, and I just pray that you would bless each father here this morning and each mother, each home, Lord, and that you would provide the things that are needed the patience and the wisdom and grace and the strength. Lord, in that you would give each one a vision, Father, for your call in their lives, and just help each one to be faithful. Pray that you would bless the rest of our day, Lord. and Go with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to turn the time back to Brother Alvin. <clears throat> 903, 903.